Good morning. This is Richard Chang with the Sativa segment. We are filming episode nine today. Hey, Dan, how's it going? How are you doing? Glad to be here. Good. Um, well, before we get started, I'd like to tell you and, of course, all the listeners out there that this episode is fueled by Dads at Peace. It's a men's resource center based here in Dallas, Texas. For those of you who are watching, if you want to know more about it, uh, you can certainly look it up on Facebook, Dads at Peace. Um, so today we have a guest in the accounting industry, but more so than that, he's actually a close personal friend of mine. Uh, his name is Dan Olson. Oh. What's Ple going on? Pleasure to be here today. Glad to be here. It's I'm, so am weird. I, am I one of your first CPAs come up here? You're the first CPA. Very right. But it's Sorry. weird having you on because I have a personal relationship. Yeah, with you. we can talk about all that too. Um, we can make this a lot of fun. This will be like the Joe Rogan yeah, show. But I mean, the, really, the the purpose of this is mm -hmm. to educate the public about, of course, accounting, 280E, which is a major tax issue in the in the mm -hmm. cannabis industry. Um, really, your stint at um, a large cannabis company, yeah, right. And also, um, what as a CPA, your perspectives on certain accounting and uh, quality of earning issues yeah. uh, as it relates to the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I know you. You don't have to tell me uh, right. every little detail. And um, but wh why don't you? Why don't we start off with you sharing a little bit about where you're from, where you went to school? I know you went to some subpar quasi accredited um, well, college called Texas A and M, right? Yeah. Well, it's kind of it's kind of weird that you had somebody else from Texas A and M two episodes ago. I guess you get some of, <laughs> you just like our Ag, the Aggies, huh? Good friend, well, Cole. You know, I, I look at it as charity. You know, yeah. it's, it's oh, philanthropic okay. of okay. me. Very, fair. very pro bono of me. Fair, fair. You know, we, we'd love to give uh, right charity. Too. I'm a very giving person, mm -hmm. Dan. Um, but no, seriously, uh, you're you're from where? So originally, I'm a, I'm I am from Chicago. Okay. I moved down here um, right before high school. And uh, went to Arlington Lamar High School, then went to the uh, the best uh, upper institutions in the United States, Texas A&M, and I loved it so much. Got two degrees there. Um, okay. Kind of afterwards, so I did. I was a, I am an accounting major. I have okay. a master's of science and management, and basically that got me going into actually finance and learning the nuts and bolts of finance and yeah. business. Um, went into audit. Right afterwards, uh, and you were with a big shop, right? Big four, yeah, Ernst yep. and Young. So you have that big, uh, big four pedigree yep. uh, as part of your arsenal, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and good. Great place to grow up and and learn and get to know people, and also to get to know like you know business. What is this all about? Why am right. I doing this? You know, these accounting principles and all are great, but you actually learn the nuts and bolts of like why. They have this business cycle, this sales cycle, and why these particular forms are filled out, and mm -hmm. there's a necessity to it. Um, you know, there's policies and controls and procedures for every business, and they need to have them to to kind of mitigate the risks of everything. So, right. did that? It wasn't necessarily me for for whatever reason. I just was not into the checklists and whatnot. I wanted to go more to the front end of a business cycle, like learning about, you know value add propositions, mergers and acquisitions, that kind of, that really excited me. Sure. I went to a company called after that is a Fortune 500 at the time. Um, it's called Affiliated Computer Services. About there was about three years. Um, the way that could be referenced and people can actually know about that. It was the, um, it was in uh, on Haskell in 75. It was the Leaning Tower oh, that was being okay. knocked down in 2020. I yeah. was actually not in the building at the time. You know, it was getting knocked down, but it was one of the buildings I was in in existence. 
So I did that about three years. So, wow. So you say, I mean, you've had a great background. And yep. um, first of all, for those of you who are listening, Dan's an incredibly smart guy, despite the fact that he went to Texas A&M. <laughs> um, I should have to Harvard, maybe. And so, I mean, he's good at what he does, again, despite the fact that he went to an unaccredited college. Um, <laughs> but... I mean, how did you how, how did you, how did you find auditing to uh, to be boring? I mean, most CPAs right. I talk to make it a point to tell me that auditing is the fun part, and then tax is kind of the boring side. Tax, you know, right. it's a uh, both are equally challenging for sure because you know you you get when you're an accounting major, you got tax and audit; those are your crossroads. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's not. It's there's a third one too. It's either you go public and public firm. Right, which is tax and audit, or then you go to the other side. You go private, okay. private company. You go into like an accounting office or whatnot, or finance group within maybe Fortune five hundred company. Um, the thing about audit, though, um, no, you you do learn about risks and whatnot. Um, there's just a you're dealing more with historical. This are, this happened. You're vouching the accuracy, making sure there's no material misstatements and whatnot. In our understanding. Okay which is great. You learn a great deal about a business, but it's like, now it's like, well, I want to learn about, you know, M&A. I want to learn how to add. When you're seeing all this fun stuff being in wait, they, they, when one of my clients was acquiring other entities, this is a big fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is kind of neat. Wait, wait, we're doing this. What's AK here? What, what's this all about? Right. You know, and I'm reading through it and everything. I'm like, well, I want to be doing that. It's probably a matter of personal preference too. Okay. So it sounds like you uh, you start off with that audit and then you had some other interests. Yeah. But um, I also know as part of your practice as a CPA, you do um, some fairly specialized work in the Q of E space. Yes. There are a lot of people who are probably going to be listening to this who yeah. do not know what that is. Um, as, as you know, I'm a, right. uh, I'm a, um, transactional, uh, healthcare and cannabis right. attorney. So I'm very familiar with that. I've used guys like you right. as part of a private equity buyout of, you know, certain, um, businesses, but tell us a little bit about just the nuts and bolts on what really Q of E does yep. and what it involves and mm-hmm. why it's important to have it. So the backtrack just real quick. So yep. I started doing the Q of E work that you're referring to about 20 years ago. And I was doing middle market deals between in middle market, depending on where everybody's definition, I'd, I'd say it's like between 5 million, and 500 million in acquisition value. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what exactly is it? It's not an audit. I'm not putting any assurance on numbers. It's a specific group of procedures. What I'm trying to do is get down to what the adjusted EBITDA number is. And that's an estimate of cash flow, net cash flow for a company. Sure. And essentially what that is, is you're, you're normalizing earnings is one. You're checking the accounting as well. Um, and also as part of this, I'm identifying all the risks of the company too. Look, if you've given me a budget and I'm looking on these trends, um, and then I'm also looking at the capacity of the company. Are they able to, is this legitimately able to make this budget and whatnot? Right. So I'm looking at the assumptions and whatnot. Are you also looking at the repeatability of the income? Yes. Okay. And, oh, absolutely. Right? Non-recurring revenue is a big part of that, obviously. Right. So, I mean, in year one, a company could have great, yeah. uh, great P&Ls and uh-huh. have uh, a really strong EBITDA value, right. right? But then year two, is it repeatable? Right. And how is it repeatable? It's uh, depending on the nature of the business, right? And then also one of the big things I look at is customer turnover. Okay. okay. You know, high, and, and all, some industries have that. Look, if you have a construction industry, 
you're not going to necessarily have that same income for the following year. But so you're going to have to look at how strong is their backlog or their pipeline mm -hmm. historically. You can go back three or four years to look at that too. And also this, you know, the state of the economy too. Yeah. That's a big part of this. So are you seeing, um, are you seeing people do doing that in the cannabis industry? Like, um, doing QVCF studies. You know what? We're seeing it more and more. Okay. And that's a, that's actually a really good point in regards to the cannabis industry. And the I think the second question is, if they're not, should they be? I, they should do it, for sure. Okay. So in general, like the cannabis industry is a new industry. It's up and coming. It's growing. It's going to be huge in a couple of years when everything gets going in legalization. But the one thing that they do lack is uh, lack of sophistication of uh, finance and accounting. Okay. They just haven't gotten there yet. They're using, I've seen many different deals that I've done is that they're using, um, a lot of them are these quasi cash flow type uh, mm -hmm. financials and they're not necessarily accrual. It causes some concern because when going forward, when you convert them and you acquire this, then all of a sudden, you know, your pro forma cash flows are different. You know, like this is not exactly what we thought we were getting. You know, now this is below the budget that you guys had given us. Yeah. You know, so we do kick the tires on that. We see some very interesting, um, I would say very interesting accounting. Uh, a lot of things capitalized that should have been expensed. Mm -hmm. um, another thing we do too is another is owner's expenses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody wants to minimize their, their federal t income tax liability. Right. right. So there's a lot of different things that are being run through. Is there a particular segment of the cannabis industry um, that you see more deviations in their QVs and their accounting than, than others. So it's, it's got to be, yeah, cultivation for sure. Cultivation, I for sure. Yeah, right. It's got to be cultivation, right? Because it's versus like, like an ancillary, like a lab, right? Exactly. Or, or something else. It, and it all it all goes into the inventory, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, how are you accounting or capitalizing for inventory? Mm -hmm. How are you capitalizing as full absorption? Not mm -hmm. well. Let's see. Let's, how, you do, how are you capitalizing your inventory? What costs are going in there? Does the inventory, because in cultivation, the, the quality of the, cult, of, the, of the plant, because yeah. arguably it's some level, there, you can, you, it's perishable in some ways, it's, right? It can, it, it can alter the, the yes. integrity of it. Does that Im impact the, yes. uh, the accounting aspect of it? Because arguably if it's not as good as it was, right. then you can't sell it as, as well. Right, and Correct. so that 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 messes with your that cash impacts flow. your value because you're looking at yields. That's another big thing we look at. Say, so, okay, your yield is a certain percentage, mm -hmm. and then you start looking at the trend over a year, and you're like, wait, it's going down. Mm -hmm. So this this inventory is not as good as you you say you have on the books or what it's going to be sold for, and what what can you sell? Right. So have you ever gotten into like an argument with an owner because? Yes. <laughs> they, they feel one way and you're yes. trying to explain to them. People know me knows I'm, um, yeah, I could be decently argumentative. I mean, I'm not going to okay. back down on things. Um, but I, because sometimes I feel, I find that owners have an emotional attachment to their yes. business as they should, right? right? Rightfully so. Um, and sometimes when you have that emotional attachment to your business and to your products, because you're very proud of it, yep. it, it can, it can put some blinders on, on objectivity. So right? that, now that's a really good point. And that goes into what, yeah, a lot of these owners are entrepreneurs and they put mm -hmm. a lot of effort, a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears into this. Right. You know, it's, this is their baby, so to speak. And they'll, they'll always back and they'll say, look, this is the way we've been doing it historically. And I'm like, well, this is not necessarily right. 
And then we go back and forth on it. And a lot of that comes down to another big part of this is when you're getting ready to close the process of diligence. And when I was in-house at, uh, I was at Terrasend, a uh, big MSO based out of Toronto, um, we're, you know, you're going through the process of closing things and things get a little emotional um, at the end. Yeah. People are talking, this is the way we've always been doing it. Right. This is what inventory should be. This is what it should not be. And I'm sure you're seeing different things now that you're a vendor or you're a service provider on the outside yeah. versus the type of co dialogue and, um, you know, perspective working at Terrasen or so, somewhere right. in-house, right? Um, I, I want to circle back to Terrasen in a second, yeah. uh, your stint there. Uh, that's that's going to be interesting. But I do want to know, how did you fall into the cannabis industry? Because I, ha I think everybody has their story. As a lawyer, I certainly have my story how I, you know, fell into it yeah but how, how did you first fall into it you know it was uh i wasn't because i was looking it wasn't uh years ago i had my own shingle up i had my own company i was doing a little bit of investment banking and a uh, good friend uh contacted me says i need some help on diligence for these particular cannabis companies that they were serving i'm like all right you know and i started helping them and i got really ramped up and it was Actually, pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. It's fascinating. Just the industry, the the regulations that are involved, and how so much risks involved, and it just it was exciting because it's how, how long ago was this? This is about five years ago. Okay, yeah, and, and you just accidentally fell into it. Just kind of fell into it, yeah. and I just kind of really liked it, and uh, was very you know motivated and inspired to do it, and just right. learn everything about it. Right. And what happened with that was then I got I got hired. I got hired by our client that actually helped do like four or five deals with on diligence side. Um, and that was Terrason. Okay. Yeah. I don't think anybody really initially looks for it. I mean, there are some right. um, prof service professionals that they have the intent yep. of going. I think you're finding that more and more because um, I can think of, think of a couple of attorneys I know who are making a, a concerted effort to go into it. But yeah. you know, I got into it in 2013 and it certainly was by fluke and accident. Because coming out of the healthcare industry, my first project um, was tied to medical cannabis and, yeah. and physicians. But I don't think, you know, if you talk to the people who got into it earlier, yeah. it's not like we were just like looking for it. No, you're so, not. You're. It kind of found us. Right? Outside of consuming it, um, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it isn't. And it, it, I think that kind of goes into the a little bit about the stigma of the industry, right? From the outsiders. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not involved and don't understand it. Mm -hmm necessarily think it's a legitimate business well, i mean it is a business at the end of the day it's a business absolutely it's an industry and a business like anything else you're right. still dealing with management of staff you're dealing with you're still dealing with inventory you're still dealing with cash flow right you're still dealing with corporate structuring yeah. you know raising capital there's i mean all the all the major pieces of running right. and starting a business is essentially it's, it exists in cannabis this as well. is a yeah hugely right. huge industry billions and billions of dollars and I think when I was kind of referencing the, the stigma of it, you know, before I got into it, I'm thinking I'm dealing with Bill and Ted. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of like right. that. Or Spicoli. Right. Absolutely not true. These are some of the smartest people you'll ever meet in your life that have built these businesses, these operators, the ones that I've entertained were amazing. Mm -hmm. They knew so much about the science of the plant and what they do. What's the impact medically, you know, recreationally and how the body absorbs. And like, wow, this is this... No, agreed. Uh, you know, over the years, I've been in this, doing this for about 19 years, and um, some of the smartest people I've ever encountered are 
in this industry that yeah. I've that I've come across. I've, quite frankly, they, they've they've taught me, they've yeah. mentored me about yes. you know botany and phytochemistry and how it impacts the the human body. Yeah. And it's a it's a fascinating industry that right. I don't think gets enough credit, right, by other industries. Oh, for sure not, for sure um, not. And it, and you know part of that has to do with the legalization. I yeah. mean, until it is. Or in the social stigma that you mentioned. Yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So let's talk about Terrasen. You, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned it was a, a large MSO based out of Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the I know Terrasen does have operations here in the U.S. Yes. And they have um, a number of different lines of products. It's a vertically integrated mm-hmm. um, organization, mm-hmm. meaning that they do retail, which is downstream. They also do uh, cultivation, which is more upstream, and then everything yeah. in between, right? Yeah. So tell, tell, tell me about how you fell into um, being with Harrison, what you did there, yeah. and tell, tell me about your experience there. So yeah, I, as I said before, I, I fell into it, providing services, outsourced mm-hmm. services, diligent services for, for them in regard to their acquisitions. And it just so happened those, we, we, when we, I joined, we had already acquired them, Help building up. I mean, so what were they acquiring though? What were you helping them acquire? We're doing so we're acquiring dispensaries. Okay. Um, and this is back in 19. So this is kind of what I call the green rush where things were just crazy wild. I mean, mm-hmm. anticipation of legalization. There was a lot of capital election. raising, right? I oh, mean, um, I think maybe it was like 18 or 17. Yes. That's when uh Constellation put yes. in that you know five billion dollar capital yes. injection into yep. um it's either uh Kronos or or Can- Canopy. Uh, Canopy, right? Yep. So so tell me about um, your so, experience there. So yeah, so it was uh, it was it was pretty crazy. There's a lot of volume, uh, a lot of hard work. I mean, we were exposed to at the time as we were kind of referencing with all the capital raises and everybody's hey, we're for sale, we're for sale, we're for sale. Mm-hmm. We were dealing sometimes with a pipeline of forty or fifty different acquisition opportunities. And then you had to go through those acquisition opportunities and thought, does this fall in line with our business strategy? And then if it falls in line with the business strategy, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. Now, as you know, the you know, cannabis deals are are difficult in MA. They are. Yeah. They are. There's just these multi-levels, like you got a local issue, state legal, yeah. obviously, obviously federal. But and depending on what state you are, sometimes you have dual licensing issues, like in California. Yes. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was the hardest. And it takes, you know, once you get everything all finalized, then you gotta wait like six months. To get it all approved yeah. by the local authorities, so the one we acquired, what I really enjoyed was the uh, it's called the Apothecarium. Um, the big part of that was the dispensaries out there, yeah, and several licenses. I remember seeing that on their website. Yeah. I mean, they're they're still operating it, absolutely. Yeah. And it's um, it's actually been an Architectural's Digest is uh, one of the top um, decorated um, dispensaries. This is beautiful. It's granite tower kind of countertops. I noticed the, how how posh and nice it yes. was because yes. and, and it's not your typical, you know, dispensary that you walk into right. with the the decor now, and everything else. It's, it's it's pretty high end. They and we just we uh, we really enjoyed talking to the founders, uh-huh. and they said that they wanted to make something that their grandmother or mother could come into and feel comfortable in that scenario. Wow. Okay. So it was really very nice and posh. It was very nice, and that's when you're talking about brands. That's kind of what we wanted the standard to be. Mm-hmm. And when we kind of went out and we built out New Jersey, that's what the standard we wanted to be. So we wanted to be in like that very nice dispensary where people feel comfortable into going into. Sure. 
Um, so what did, what was your what was your role there at Terry? So I was a I was a vice president of corporate development. Okay. So I, I assisted the executive VP, um, and we went through and. I don't know. It, it was it was amazing, and it involves strategic planning, act, helping with M and A. Yes, um, ident identifying different um, yes. different verticals. Yes. Okay. And another big thing of that is, you know, we go out there, do the deal. Now what? Yeah, you know, we have to digest it. Yeah. Integrate. Okay. Yeah, tell me about the integration because integration can be really tricky sometimes. It is, you know, integration as um, even as simple as uh, your computer system integration. Yes, right. Or um, HR integration, HR. Uh, payroll integration. I mean, there's a lot of integration in when you insurance. When you, yeah, insurance, you accounting, exactly, payroll, accounting system, and what and whatnot. I mean, it. The big point on that is you got to pick your battles. You know, you can't completely integrate everything. It's not possible to do it over a certain amount of time. Yeah. And if there's any kind of synergies, everybody knows them with the first hundred days, you get a hundred days to I look at the synergies that you had identified in your model and then execute on those. Yeah. Are they okay. gone? Was there, was there a particular type of an approach that was specific to Terrison that you, you thought to yourself, Oh, that's interesting because other people do it like this, but Terrison is using, using this particular approach. Was there anything that kind like, of, into M and A, or just in regards to to M and A, really okay. to M and A, or um, you know, some organizations are very much about identifying and acquiring certain assets. Yeah, right. Or acquiring certain assets in certain ways. Yes. Um, or they have uh, they have a practice of not paying beyond X multiples of EBITDA. Right. Yeah. Do you remember any type of specific approach that so, you guys use? Um, I would say this that. The, the approach that I thought was really interesting was, look, it was, as you said, it was a wild time yeah. and there was a lot of competition and, you know, you, you found something you liked, you put down on LOI. So it was that fast. It was fast. So are we looking at maybe two months to, to from beginning to close or are we looking we at- We were trying to do that. Two months? We were doing it, yeah. 60 day due diligence and close? We're, yeah, there was, Yes. So did you uh, or no? What was it actually? It was like LOI to sign the document and then close. Okay. With yeah, the regulatory bodies getting the approval and everything. Yeah, it, was, it took yeah. a while. Okay. Yeah, sometimes the regulatory bodies because of how they um, approve the mm -hmm. the change of ownership with the yeah. with the license. Some states won't even allow change of ownership. And everybody license. knows that it's so critical to get these things done. And what happens in like that the two three month period? There's a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Everybody's talking and. You try to do your best. What if something doesn't get approved? Yes. You have to have, uh, you know, right. pre-notices pre yeah. certain, in certain jurisdictions. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you had a very fruitful experience yeah. there. It was, a, I would say, an MBA in, in cannabis. Yeah. And so let's, let's, let's move forward. You left Harrison, but then you, you went back into private practice. Yes. Okay. And so tell me about that experience did you did you continue to um service cannabis in, uh, cannabis clients in, yes. in, in private practice so yeah yes i did um so we would get so i went back into being a consultant and uh we're doing right back into the quality of earnings type opportunities you know, estimating cash flow also a big part of what we do is we we look at the uh, the peg working capital peg and determining what that is and that's a little tricky in cannabis so your dispensaries if you dispensaries you think about it they don't have any ar mm -hmm. and also they're turning they're turning the inventory faster than our ap so when you take out cash you're, you have a negative 
yeah. working capital. And so we were, we had to educate, you know, our clients a lot of times, like, here, let's set the peg at zero. Can I kind of avoid any kind of issues that you might have and having to pay some money up front mm-hmm. down the line? And uh, no, that was always interesting. So, but I did, yeah, I was doing a lot of big dispensary work. There's an East Coast, I can't name the name, but um, they did a big acquisition in Colorado, but a bunch of different cons- uh, dispensaries out there. Okay. And we helped them with that, kick the tires on it. We initially were just coming out there to kind of oversee the process. And then what we did is, is we kind of showed them we had provided this value that kind of opened up the procedures that we do. And then now we were more integrated with them, moving fast, showing them what we can do in regards to cannabis and helping them get things done quicker. Well, no, it's been my experience that some of these ideals are, can be pretty complicated and, um, Sometimes it's a cultural fit too. If it's yes. if it's a consolidation with a big outfit like an MSO acquiring mom and pop shop, yeah, there could be a, a clash between um, you know yes. corporate and mom and pop shop because it's a cultural clash. And yes. how is that going to get integrated? Yes, sometimes that can be very very um, sticky and, and sensitive. And, and because, like it, you said, they they started off this this with this company, and now they're having yeah. to give up a lot of control. Absolutely. And look, is there going to be consistency going forward in the management team, right? Mm-hmm. So if that particular owner or management group is going to leave, that holds a lot of risk right yeah. there. I mean, then you're going to look at maybe there's some potential uh, employee turnover right. going forward after the acquisition. You're like, oh, wow, the acquiring firm is now going to look at that. How am I going to feel? How am I going to service my own customers if everybody has left? And I noticed that, you know, in the dispensary level, um, they're very sensitive to the culture. They're very sensitive to it. They mm-hmm. want to have a great, it's just, and that's different in other industries I've worked in. In the cannabis industry, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like they feel they have a lot of fun and they're actually, they do a great job, by the way. All the, the bud tenders I've talked to are very knowledgeable and they educate the clients and the customers. And they can got, be very passionate. They are very passionate. They can be very passionate about what they do. And they tried everything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we're looking at, when I look at accounting and I look at cannabis, the big ticket items that come to my mind certainly isn't Q of E, right? Because I have, I've, quite frankly, I see more Q of E stuff right. in other industries. Yeah. Um, not to say that I do think I agree with you that cannabis can, uh, the cannabis industry and the business owners can definitely benefit from Q of E studies during the acquisition. But we're, some of the big ticket items is, of course, 280E. Yes. Right. Um, I know that your specialty is not you. You didn't you didn't you didn't come right. out of ENY as part of a right. tax expert. Right, you were more of an audit expert. Right, but can you shed some light about what 280E is and why it's um, it remains to be a challenge in the cannabis industry? It is the ultimate biggest accounting and slash tax risk in cannabis mm-hmm. or any I don't know for any industry for that matter because it's so. It is so focused on, it is, this is cannabis, and that is specific to any kind of controlled substances. And to be and to be clear, the 280E is a section of the IRS code. Correct. Okay. And it came on uh, as a result of uh, a 1982 uh, tax case where the, the IRS was suing a cocaine dealer. Okay. And they-, they <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, it's very interesting, quite honestly. And he was trying to uh, deduct all these business expenses- and basically, the IRS says we're not gonna. You're not allowed to deduct expenses for trafficking. 
And what that basically eliminates is everything below what I say below the line of, you know, gross margin and below is not no longer deductible. And I'm just being very basic about that. Um, so any kind of sales, any kind of marketing, you're not going to be allowed to do it. Transportation, whatnot, uh, you're not allowed to do it. Certain types of fixed, fixed costs, employee costs. Yes. But you can deduct cost of goods, I think. Yes, correct. Right? And I'm not a CPA, so but I, I think so I believe. What goes along on that is it's uh, what I call is they, they allow you to deduct the cost of capital. Okay. In other words, if you bought this gummy for $10 and that's your cost mm -hmm. and you're selling it for $20, you can you can deduct the 10 that's associated with it. But nothing right. else. Right. The bud tender salaries are not allowed to anybody selling it, nothing. So because of the um, the lack of opportunity to deduct costs, and which obviously has an impact on their annual filings, right? A cannabis business has to be that much more profitable, yes, in order for it to be profitable right. because of the lack of it's, deductions. Absolutely. So in another word, yes, the cannabis industry has definitely got a handicap in regards to compared to other non-business. Mm -hmm. And that causes also concern when, when they're trying to raise capital too, is that the cash flows are not going to be as good as a non-cannabis industry, right? Because if you're competing for dollars for, between cannabis and non-cannabis, they're going to, you know, right. hey, look, the return is much better over here. Do you think that's one of the reasons why sometimes it's hard to get private investors yes. in, in the cannabis industry? I believe so. Because private equity firms, investors, you know, family mm -hmm. office money, they're looking, they want to see cash flow. Yes. They want to see positive cash flow. Right. Right, and if you are unable to deduct certain taxes and you're limited in that cash flow, right, it suddenly becomes an unattractive investment. Yes, and you start doing the math on that, and the yeah. ROI is a lot longer. Right, you're right. Like, wait, where's this going? And then you know, historically, I, I don't want to um, disparage um, any any particular industry, but let's be honest, this industry is a fairly new and burgeoning mm -hmm. industry right. that may not always have the level of sophistication on running a business. Yep. It's a business nevertheless, but yep. the, the, the level of sophistication has grown. It's just, it hasn't caught up to some other industries. So between the lack of deductions and um, depending on what your management team looks like right. and depending on who's running the show, right. I think it's a hard sell sometimes to investors say, is. give me X capital and I'll do this with it and you'll get X return. When there's 20 other industries out there they can be investing they, into. That's correct. Where the returns where you can look like at a Tesla or something or right. some other middle market type company that you can actually put money into that is, hey, look, I've got 9 or 10% annual mm -hmm. return on this. Suppose to cannabis, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to get. I mean, it's all, uh, look, it all comes down to this when, what is it going to be federally legal? And that's where the big mm -hmm. nut is, right? Mm -hmm. That's what people are putting their money in right now for that potential I don't know when it's going to happen. I can't even speculate on when it's going to happen because I thought it ha would happen a couple of years ago and it didn't happen. Um, but that's what everybody is, is that big potential green rush that could happen again. And it could. It could. It's yeah. starting to ramp up now. Yeah. And, you know, of course, we're seeing some of the other industries coming up like psychedelics with yes. uh, research with, involving psilocybin, which is a controlled substance in itself. Right. It has some parallels with cannabis. Right. Um, and so, of course, I, I, I have a feeling that that may be another industry that um, people are monitoring. Yeah. And so um, if you were an investor, what would you want to hear 
in a pitch if I uh, during 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 a pitch for to right. raise capital. How could I guess in other words? Let me, let me think about how to phrase this. If if you were an investor, what would you want to hear from a p- cannabis business to raise money? So um, not, well, obviously, it's got to be attractive on opportunity. I got to like the product, right? Yeah. But one thing that will help you increase your value or decrease it or help you raise capital or not is having, you know, the quality of financial statements, mm-hmm. the blocking and tackling that's done behind the scenes. I'm telling you, if nobody has faith in those, you'll lose your value. I don't know percentage or anything, but and to know that, and I'm not saying you have to have an audit. I'm just saying that knowing that they, you have the credibility of your financial statements and people can rely on them. Because then, okay, now I know what you got, and now let's see where you're going to go. Um, and you do have an attractive product. I know, and yeah, let's talk about moving forward with raising some capital here. So what are some pitfalls that the cannabis operator or a cannabis uh, business owner um, that they could say or not do or do during a pitch when they're trying to raise capital? What are some potential pitfalls that you see? Um, I would say when they they start doing the, um, and that's not games, like smoke and mirrors type of thing. Like, you know, they say, hey, yeah, we'll give you, we'll give you the, the backup behind, you know, the sim or your prospectus, right? And then uh, it takes a long time to get. Oh, we can't get that to you right now, but let's keep moving forward, that type of thing. Yeah. So it sounds like lack of preparation and lack of preparation, um, lack of um, follow up. Yeah. And that goes, that, that ties to the, um, sometimes it's the lack of sophistication and as well. I'll tell you another one thing that will we'll do it to you um, having the appropriate representation. Like if you're engaging a professional to help you raise capital, mm-hmm. how reputable they are. And I mean, to me, when I just hear pitches and I hear the the, the salesy, that's already an issue. That yeah. raises a lot of red flags. I mean, you should be who you are and how you represent yourself. In my opinion, I, I think you need to know your financials backwards and yeah. forwards. Yeah. If, if, um, if an investor is asking you about your financials and your EBITDA value, your yeah. cash flow, you know your your costs, yeah. and you know, I, I think you it's absolutely critical for them to know that. Open, be an open book. Yeah. Be, be be an open book out there about everything. I mean, right. really, to say we have this problem here, we've corrected it. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. we had this problem in uh, 2020. This happened. Yeah. You know, just be open about it. Right. This is why the numbers were down, and but it, but show support behind it. Right. Um, so let's transition into uh, private practice accounting yeah. in the cannabis industry. Yeah. I don't know about you, but as I came up through this uh, this industry working at law firms, there were certain there were certainly office politics, yeah, and maybe some reticence by uh, practitioners wanting to get into the space. Have you seen some of that involved with CPAs? Not necessarily you, but in your industry, yeah, in accounting. I mean, what I've heard, I've seen. Uh, I know a lot of the. Well, depending on the the um, state country, um, a lot of the I know the big four are not even touching it in the United States. Sure, they won't even sure. touch it. Right. A lot of the middle market firms won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of firms, the CPA firms, think that this is an opportunity because nobody's touching it. They're going to be like, "Hey, we're going to be on the ground floor." Mm-hmm. Is this when this gets legalized? And I see a lot of those up in the Northeast. By the way, a lot of good. Um, accounting firms out there that are actually entertaining it, doing the audits on it, signing off on things. And the risk, you know, to to the accounting firms that 
are hesitant on it, and I can completely understand. If you're signing off on an opinion on things, you know, now you've signed off on something that is federally illegal, mm-hmm. and you could potentially be charged with something or something against the federal law. And I can I completely understand that. But there are some groups that won't do it, and some people will not. Um, have you heard of challenges with account uh, with accountants getting uh, malpractice insurance because of the industry or um, super high premiums on the insurance side? I have I heard of that up in the Northeast when I was uh, I lived up there for about six months and I got to know a lot of the different CPAs and yeah no it is it's a big deal and they're very sensitive about what you know the federal government says what the president says um, what's going on up there mm-hmm. in the the impending. Um, bills that will help say banking act and whatnot and all those different things you know as those come to be with the decriminalization as those things get passed it seems like the risk lessens and it becomes less expensive to insure okay um are there any are there any particular um cannabis businesses uh, along the supply chain uh that you usually do more work for or have historically done more work for right whether it's a cultivator or a processor or a retailer uh, tell me a little bit about that. It's kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag because a lot of the ones I, I do deal with are vertically integrated, like Terrison. Right. Yeah. There was one that we did out in Vegas. They had a grow facility, big indoor grow facility. Yeah. And then they had four or five dispensaries in the area. Um, then there was a couple out in California, vertically integrated again. Um, and then that Michigan was actually a pretty interesting one. I dealt with that last year. Um, now, Michigan has gotten into um, a supply issue. The supply immensely is over demand for the product, and the price of price per pound has dropped immensely. And everything uh, is really much greater than the market. Did you say over demand or oversupply? Oversupply, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, way oversupplied. Price dropped. Yep. Now it's like, okay, who, who can offer the same quality yep. for these prices? I think they're experiencing it in Illinois, aren't they? Yes, they are. Cal- yep. California too. Okay, and your your home state, I think, has yes. some challenges. Yeah, yes, with Illinois. Imagine that. I was just in Chicago back in um, mm-hmm. uh, September, yeah. and I have a law school friend of mine out there. Yeah, and I caught up with him, and um, that's one of the things we talked about is the industry. The margins really aren't that good, right? And um, they're not. They're getting and because of some of the initiatives they're they're using. Uh, to issue out licenses, sometimes they're not issuing out the best licensees for the, that's that's best qualified. The best operators, right. the right. ones that have the most experiences, they're doing based more on social sure. reform. Sure. Uh, and it's not to take anything away no, from social reform, not. but nevertheless, if you are going to go into a regulated space, mm-hmm. right, you're looking at public health, you're looking at uh, effective operations. Yeah. Um, you really, I mean, as as a as a licensing agency yeah beyond be, beyond the push for social justice there the, i am this is just my per- personal opinion you should be looking at um the ability to perform as well oh absolutely so, you know and it's it, everybody thinks these uh the prices that you pay are astronomical you know maybe for some gummies or so whatnot but you can forget to think about like the excise taxes in there state taxes mm-hmm. in there local taxes in there it's all been marked up and grossed up, and then your operator's getting a, a smaller piece than what you really think. Yeah. They're yeah. getting squeezed. And and then you throw in the 280E in there. Yeah. And you have some cash flow problems sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, let's talk Texas. Yeah. What, what, have, uh, what have you seen here in Texas or in just generally in the South? Because it's a very different market right. than in your East right. and West Coast um, and everywhere else in between. Yeah. Do, have you seen anything that's, um, that's really growing here in the South or in, in Texas? Growing. that Pardon the pun? Yeah, pardon the pun. That's right. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. But, you know, for example, in Texas, we, we've just um, reopened the Texas Compassionate Use Program licensing yeah. application. Yeah. But there's a lot of stuff that's going on in Alabama, Mississippi, all the Southeast, yeah. the SEC states, right? Right. Um, you know, for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, football and college sports. Gigam, Gigam Aggies there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Don't delete that. How do, they, how, how, that do they get, how do they get in without being accredited at college? Come on. <laughs> it's, you know, who we paid, right? It's, it, it's not what you know. It's, it's, the who, other you schools it's are, who you It's who you pay off. <laughs> it's the other schools that are coming in next year that are the oh, funny, funny ones. Yes. You mean like, you know, the other? Yeah, the Texas? other two schools. And there's another school further right. north. That's right. A state away. Yeah, north of the border. Yeah, north of the border. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're back. They may, props. they may or, or may props. not carry a maroon-ish type color. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, crimson red, I think. Crimson red. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what what have you seen really grow here in the South? So the uh, there is uh, something going on in in next month. Uh, they're opening up the applications for some medical uh, cannabis applications and licenses. Yep. I know that's becoming a big deal. Um, nobody knows how big, but have you heard about Oklahoma, uh, potentially legalizing for adult use? Yes, I have heard that. And I've, I thought that would already have happened quite honestly. And now that's a, that's just a completely thing, a different thing. I was just in, I was just in New Mexico. Yeah. Just two weekends ago. And, um, the fact that New Mexico has legalized for adult use, you, you drive across the border, there, there are actually these little retreats. Yeah. And um, there are only a few places in the entire state of New Mexico that have smoke lounges at a dispensary. I didn't know that. But really? it just it's an indication how the market is starting to shift. They don't even, even do that. Yeah, they don't even do that in California. So uh, there's probably like four or five different places in yeah. New Mexico where it's a dispensary. Right. But they actually have like a consumption lounge in the back. Yeah. And so you can actually buy your products and go into the consumption that's lounge. And you have to have genius. a consumption lounge license as well. And that's genius too. And they got to have pop, you know, proper you know, ventilation and whatnot. That's right. Which probably, did you know the ventilation on any one of those places is like – you know, like four or five hundred thousand dollars. No kidding. I went into a dispensary back in 2018. I represented um, a dispensary up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yep. And I went to his back. First of all, I found found out it was really interesting that their pet products were the number one seller. Yeah. It's, it had it yielded a, a bigger profit margin right. than any other product. What I also found out was their ventilation pro, uh, their ventilation system was about four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. That blew my mind. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so. that is crazy. And, and I remember, so uh, I did assist with the the cultivation center we're building out in New Jersey, and just with a cultivation center, they have a very very high ventilation center. I mean, a very expensive ventilation center, and then they had a fumigation uh, system we had. So in other words, when the air inside the facility was extracted and pushed outside, you had to be, you know, fumigated, mm-hmm. right, or perfume. Right. Or some type. Um, so going back to the M&A, I know we, uh, we've talked about that, but do you see more M&A going on in the South? 
Um, Do you anticipate I, that? I think so. I think so because I think this is kind of like the last, not the last market, but it's a pretty big market. And there's a lot of demand. You just look at people that are big proponents of uh, cannabis and legalizing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Texas is going to be huge if it ever gets to that point. I think it will. But I think it's going to be a very big market. Yeah, but it, I mean, look. let's look into all the other markets with big cities like a Tennessee that has historically been very restrictive on cannabis. Yes. But they have some pretty big cities like a mm-hmm. Memphis or yeah. uh, a Nashville, right? right? Or if you go to um, Georgia, you have – you have Atlanta there as, yeah. a, as a major hub. So um, I'm just seeing a lot of potential in the Southern markets. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, with more activity, um, I would imagine it would yield yield more opportunities for you and for other CPAs yeah. that do work for similar to what you do. Oh, for sure. I mean, like I said, you know, they need, everybody needs a good advisor and don't sell that short. I know what you're doing. And when you're dealing with these, these tax issues that we were just mm-hmm. talked about, the 280E, mm-hmm. have a great, great accountant and advisor. You don't want to get stuck paying more than you really should. You want to have good tax planning in that, in that regard. And also, if you if you are thinking about opening something up and then selling it, eventually, you got to have, you need to have like an exit plan. Yeah, A lot of different CPAs will help you with that and help you like, hey, look, you need to do this with your books. You need to do this with your books and so on and so forth. And we need to set up this type of process. So when it comes to that point, and I kind of mentioned earlier, if your financials fall apart and you don't have great records, it's going to drop your value, yeah. what you can ask for. No, for sure. Um, so as we wrap up here, Dan, um, I know this year you're going to attend a few conferences. Yep. Uh, where can people find you? I mean, I, I think, in fact, I think we're going to a couple of sim- similar yes. conferences, right? Yes. What, what, what conferences are you going the to? The NOCO we're going to, um, okay. Colorado Springs. Yeah. Is that end of this month? You looking forward to that? Yes, I am. Okay. There's another one you're going to, right? isn't well, there? Yes. Uh, well, Lucky Leaf in uh, Mississippi, right? Mississippi. Yes. Yeah. And don't forget the so- SoCo. I mean, the one in Nashville that we're going to do. I guess it's in August again, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think those are all great events. Um, Historically speaking, are those good events for CPAs to go to? Yes. Okay. I think anytime you're talking, you get one-on-one with a lot of different the operators. Um, I think that's a great opportunity to talk to them about what you can do. And, you know, they might be having problems and might a little guidance is needed. Yeah. Okay. Well, sounds sounds good. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, no, it's been a good time. Yeah. Despite... You know, you talk you're interrogated by a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> well, it's kind of like a say, you're probably billing this to a client. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, not 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 yet. I, I don't go that far. So, no. um, hey, listen, I appreciate you making the time to no. come on the sativa segment. Um, we, I think we uh, had some good discussions. I look look forward to coming back for part two with me. Part two with Dan Olson. We'll do it maybe right. in football season. We can talk about. Yeah, oh, that's 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 when uh, the rhetoric gets a little bit more aggressive. About, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna hit the. That's fine. I'll wear my colors too. You wear yours. <laughs> okay. All right, Dan. Well, it was good talking to you. And um, you know, check out the Sativa segment when it, yep. uh, episode nine when it comes out. Yep. Okay. It sounds All great. Right. Thanks. Thanks a bunch. All right. Bye bye.